0: Welcome back to another episode of Third Giant Things. As you know of Afghanistan, there's a lot of things happening and multiple podcasts Today we have a very, very special guest with us uh, for uh, pertaining to the Afghanistan situation. We have uh, the special assistant to the Prime Minister on Information, uh, Rauf Hassan-Sahab, who's also the Chief Executive Officer of Regional Peace Institute, which is a think tank that does what I'd like, like to ask him as well. Rauf-Sahab, thank you so much for being part of the show.
1: Pleasure. Thank you very much for inviting me here. Uh,
0: Rauf-Sahab, I'll start the conversation with uh,
1: asking a little bit about what uh, Regional Peace Institute uh, is? Well, we, we conduct uh, bilateral dialogues at track 2 and track 1.5. And Afghanistan is the principal country that we've been dealing with for the last 7-8 years now. Right. So it's, it's a place very close to my heart and... Uh, particularly grateful that you've invited me here yeah. to yeah. talk about this country. Um, I'm going to sort of jump
0: right into it. Um, you know, <laughs> Afghanistan there is a new government announced, an interim government announced. Hai. Uh, what's your take on that, abhi, uh, You know, the names that have been announced, the government that has been announced?
1: It may not be strictly in accordance with the expectations you know, which had been generated because of the statements coming out of uh, the Taliban leadership, uh, but it comprises the old guard and uh, they all, you know, very devoted members of the Taliban, and they have been—they were part of the government they had in the 90s, and they have been—you know—they were part of this war that they waged for 20 years. Um, but this is number one, an interim government, and number two, it is an incomplete uh, cabinet. Right. Uh, they have said that uh, more ministers are likely to be inducted. You know, as you can see, there's no uh, there's no woman in the cabinet, so it is it is expected to you know that in the second consignment that comes, you know, there will be uh, there will be some women, and uh, also. Mm-hmm. Uh, some I of think some uh, members of the well. members members of uh, uh, members of the other stakeholders in Afghanistan to turn this into what is generally referred to now as an inclusive government. You know, so we expect that to happen soon. Right, makes
0: sense. If I expand this, you know, uh, global community. uh some of them are. Uh, looking at it very clearly very closely some of them are you know saying, ke, you know, we might just sanction them China's role or US's role? How are they seeing the current government in in uh, Kabul?
1: Well, I think there's this there is a enormous difference between uh, The manner in which the two countries have responded to the developments in Afghanistan the Americans uh, as we were discussing before the the uh, before the recording commands, you know, they were the ones basically who legalized, legitimized Taliban you know, by right. signing the deal, you know, back in 2020, February 29th, if I remember it correctly. Uh, uh, but now they they want them. To earn, as they call it, earn their legitimacy. While right. on the one hand, it had already legitimized the Taliban back in 2020, now they want them to earn it all over again. Right. So, this is this is the this, this, this enormous contradiction in the two stances in a while. On the other hand, the Chinese have always been engaged with the Taliban in the last number of years. They are still engaged with the Taliban. And uh, I, I reckon that I think they'll be playing a very positive role, very uh, productive role with regard to the resurgence of Afghanistan as a viable, credible, and uh, sustainable country
0: right i believe they have uh, given some sort of financial aid as well uh, recently
1: they have given a tranche of i think 300 million dollars you know i think the first country to do so and particularly uh, under the present circumstances you know when i think there is a there is an economic uh, uh, virtual collapse you know uh, because the western countries have uh, stopped the flow of uh, the money uh, to afghanistan including you know what legally belongs to the state of afghanistan so you know we can possibly discuss that in greater detail as we progress
0: Right, uh, economic uh, sustainability. I think that's very, very important, right? And start, we saw that the ten billion dollars, which Afghanistan, you know, essentially uh, foreign exchange reserve, uh, that's sitting in New York, and that's been blocked. Um, do you think? I mean, I I feel like that doesn't make a lot of sense considering again, I peace deal में mm-hmm. uh, it, it doesn't make sense to me. First of all, the peace deal did not mention, as per what's available in the public, the uh, government कैसी होगी उसके हिसाब से हम you know financial वो किस तरह mm-hmm. से दे, देखेंगे और दूसरा <coughs> you know the idea with, with, that you mentioned that you earn your legitimacy. It's like you know, asking the bird to fly while cutting the wings off, right? Um, so how do you, how do how do they see uh, the current government doing anything when they don't even have the money to do so?
1: Well, uh, technically, this money that you're talking about belongs to the state of Afghanistan, and I don't right. think any country has a right to hold that money back, you know, irrespective of which government is uh, there to 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 take things forward. Um, the Western countries, <clears throat> in a long time now, they have been waging this war of change of government, you know. Uh, Middle East is in a in a huge crisis space. You know, you look at Syria, look at Iraq, look at. Uh, Libya, you know, Afghanistan is, uh, is, is, uh, is uh, one country, you know, in that chain of uh, activities that the Americans and the Western powers, you know, they initiated, and I think it is has destroyed part of the world. Um, this has to come to an end, you know, Now that the Taliban are there, you know, like going back to 2020, you know, it is the Americans who requested Pakistan to uh, broker talks with the Taliban, Pakistan did so, and they sat across, they discussed things you know, over a number of months, and then they actually signed a deal right uh, was Pakistan uh, present uh, during those uh no, Pakistan was not Pakistan just facilitated you know then it was left to the Americans and the Taliban to sort things out and they did by signing on the dotted line there were just two clauses to that in exchange for the Taliban commitment not to allow the use of Afghan soil for any terrorist activity the Americans gave a timeline for withdrawal of troops that means they extended recognition to the Taliban not just as an entity but also as the potential rulers of Afghanistan otherwise right. we how do you how do you seek this kind of commitment from, from a nobody? Right. So you know, on the one hand they did that. And yeah. now on the other hand they they, they they expect to know that the Taliban will earn their legitimacy all over again. So how how do how, how do the Americans expect the Taliban to earn that legitimacy? And if,
0: if if the legitimacy wasn't earned, why was why were peace talks done in the first place?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. So their legitimacy in their context is that the that that the that the Afghanistan uh society is transformed along the lines of the Western societies, right? The Americans did it for 20 years, go through the cigar papers, basically, right. you know, you must have gone through that. I mean, it's, it's, they have dreams and dreams uh, of, of how this entire thing was mismanaged. And on the, when yeah. they wanted to turn Afghanistan into a so-called Western democracy, yeah. I mean, you have to have the ground conditions, right. which, which are, which are, which are conducive to, you know, doing what you plan to do in that right. country. So 20 years of utter total shameful failure in Afghanistan and they still expect that afghanistan is going to be transformed along those lines that's not happening so if that is their concept of inclusivity yeah. then obviously uh, it's made to I, I don't i don't it's, it's much too much to expect of afghanistan and the leadership yeah. that is there to rule afghanistan at this juncture
0: Right. Uh, Beyond the US, I mean, regional, uh, you know, there are a lot of regional players as well who have a lot of stake in terms of, you know, Afghanistan being stable and peaceful. Um, One country particularly, you know, Qatar has played an important role, not as a a broker of peace or in terms of as the place Mm -hmm. where it was being done. But also I was reading that the Qatar uh, government helped sort of repair the Kabul airport. Um, what do you think is Qatar's role in all of this, uh, and why why are they doing all of this?
1: Qatar's role has been one of the principal uh, roles. Uh, they are the ones who offered uh, Taliban to open a political office in Doha, and that office has played a major role in in negotiating deals with various countries. You know and. Uh, carrying on the political activity that the Taliban did. That is why we are where we are today. So um, yesterday the Qatar's uh, deputy prime minister uh, who also holds the foreign minister portfolio, he was here and interestingly, Pakistan and Qatar have jointly uh, requested of America to release those funds for, uh, for Afghanistan to avert the prospect of an humanitarian crisis. You know, this is what we generally refer to as an humanitarian crisis. You know, the Western press was, you know, Constantly labeling, you know, the chaos at uh, Kabul airport as a humanitarian crisis—that's no humanitarian crisis. Yeah. They are economic migrants. Basically, they would, you know, you 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 give that offer to any other country, you know, and you would have uh, the people throng the airports, you know, in their bid to leave the, you know, go to the country where they feel they have better prospects. Right. So this is a humanitarian crisis when people don't have money, uh, food to eat, when they don't have money to spend, when the state does not have money to spend, the government does not have money to spend. So. I think it, it's it's a huge responsibility that rests on the shoulders of the Western countries, the so-called uh, democratic uh, countries, to ensure that funds begin to flow into Afghanistan and so that they can run the government and they can, you know, uh, cater to the basic needs of the people.
0: And and very important to put out there, this is not even humanitarian aid. This is the money of the Afghan people that has been blocked by another country. Altogether. That
1: is what I said. It is yeah.
0: legally theirs. It, it is legally
1: theirs. It can't be held back.
0: Right. Right. Um, in terms of again you talked about the economy you talked about you know there being a humanitarian crisis in the absence of let's say again uh, if the americans don't give the the 10 billion dollars back uh, where do you see the economy going because right now i mean the infrastructure is collapsed there is no system there's just only been a government uh, you know 3 days 4 days ago um, so, so how do you see the economy faring in the, in the coming few months?
1: I, I've written repeatedly in the last three weeks you know, on on subject, and I think it's very important. It's critical to the future of Afghanistan. Um, I feel that there's a huge responsibility that rests on Afghanistan's neighbours, as uh, at at stage one, and Afghanistan and this region at stage two. I think in the absence of the West playing a role, which which unfortunately appears to be the case, at least till this moment in time as we sit and talk, I think. Afghanistan's neighbors, and then the regional countries. You know, neighbors. there are five. Right. Uh, Afghanistan is the sixth one. You know, and they have met twice. Right. Even two days ago, they met, and they have now decided to invite Afghanistan on Pakistan's uh, suggestion. They have. They, have uh, they are going to invite Afghanistan to participate in the next meeting of the uh, foreign ministers uh, at, at the foreign ministers' level. You know, of the of Afghanistan and its neighbors. So I think this they they will possibly have to shoulder the brunt of responsibility, and I think they must. It's important right. because, basically, all this is about peace, creating peace in Afghanistan, uh, ensuring you know that the terrorist stations you know, are eliminated from there, and there is no disturbance along the borders of Afghanistan with other countries. So, you know, to ensure that you have to banish uh, impoverishment, right. and for that you need money. You can't imp- if you have impoverishment, there's bound to be terror bound right. to be terror and this has been this has been sort of reiterated to so many researchers you know which have been conducted in the last many years you know so that's number one so these countries possibly will bear the primary responsibility including pakistan but i think these countries are going to be led by china and we already said you know that they have announced a tranche of about 300 million dollars for afghanistan you know as you know as money going in, going there so that they can you know uh, run the day-to-day business uh, then of course you know will there will be russia I think they will possibly uh, chip in a little. Uh, I expect that at some stage Turkey will also be inducted into this group, and you know, also they will they will chip in a little. I think they possibly can do that. But the principal responsibility is this. But then I think at a different level, uh, Muzamil, I think we should we should wage a political battle at the international fora like United Nations and all other like SCO. We were talking about that, you know, urging the Western world, you know, that now is the time to stand with Afghanistan, to encourage it, to give them space so that they're able to take Afghanistan into a future that they envision right. uh, is appropriate for it. They have tried for 20 years. They tried to transform Afghanistan into a society that they could not. Right. They, were, you know, they, were, they were utterly clueless. Uh, once again, I would refer to the CIGAR papers. All you need to do is to access those papers. You know? So now they have a government which is of the people, right. so they must at least facilitate them.
0: Right.
1: Even if they cannot help them, yeah by you know sending in aid and all that they should at least return to them what is legally theirs right morally theirs they should not hold it back so i think a great responsibility rests on number 1 afghanistan's neighbors number 2 regional countries and of course the international community you know to stand with afghanistan to help them to you know wade into the future
0: right i think one of the questions that comes in my mind ever so often is um it's a chicken and egg so do you have a sort of a uh, a social revolution First, or an economic revolution first, right? Like, how do you, if, if you don't, if you have mouths to feed, do you ask them to be different people in terms of their culture and their society? And do you ask them to be more empowered? Um, and so if I look at, uh, you know, the current uh, Afghan government, uh, and if I go, a, a, you know, a few decades back and I look at what some of the governments in the Middle East Um, you know before the oil money they were very different and then once the economic activity started happening and 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 people got the money and so we saw incredible amounts of evolution in terms of their social structure as well very contextual to their own obviously setup but uh, still they were in terms of how the world looks at uh, you (coughs) know the modern world we saw those countries to be able to enter that Uh, again with Afghanistan when when the west constantly demands them to change their social structure or the way that they sort of deal with um, you know, uh, women and the way that they deal with how the society is functioning. Um, do you think it's possible, uh, and, and again, based on the last 20 years that we've seen, uh, to not have any economic activity and yet expect or demand that socially they'll be able to change?
1: Because well, will change evolves, it is right. never imposed. Right. You see, if you go through the pages of history, you know, change has evolved, always evolved. In the Western democracies today, they did not become this overnight. There were no dictators you know, who sort of went around with a rod or a whip or something and saying, all right, this is not the way you're going to live your life. This is the way you're going to live the life. And they obediently transformed to, 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 to what was being dictated about it. You know, Afghanistan is a very backward state. It's a very tribalized society. Right. And they live by what they call Pashtun Valley. Pashtun Valley is a code of honor for them, basically. Right. And you see, anybody who violates the Pashtun Valley uh you know becomes an outcast in that society change yes i'm totally totally committed to the fact that change must occur in afghanistan but you can't force it to occur force it to happen first and foremost is the means to survive and to progress economically that means money must come in. that means money must be earned in afghanistan that means means provisions must be created by the government of afghanistan for people to earn money to to become more uh, comfortable with their lives and all that. Then, at the same time, they must have money to to you know open new schools, you know, health centers, and all that. These are basic needs of the Afghan people at this time. In the last 20 years, again, I keep referring to cigar papers. You know, just imagine. I mean, out of out of the two trillions, you know, that were sent by the Americans, and you know, so many other countries also sent money. Virtually nothing was invested in the welfare of the people. You know, like we must give this government a chance and change. Yes, it must occur, but let them. Let them first make uh, their society and their state sustainable. That's important. And, you know, social change and, you know, other changes, you know, will occur, you know, as a consequence of that, not as a precursor to that. You can't, right. you can't, you just force it, you know, that it will happen. And so e- economic survival will also come. No, economic survival will not come. That's as we earned. And that is where the international community and regional community, you know, must play a role. So, you know, I think it is in that order that we must try to proceed further. And I think change will definitely happen. The last 20 years have definitely made a difference. And that that is uh, people have become sensitive to to freedoms now right. and you know you can't if you if people become sensitive to freedoms you know you can't just take them back it's very difficult to you know a step which is taken and you know, it's very difficult to retract that step you know. so i think the afghan society today is much more enlightened much more forward oriented much more sensitive to freedoms right. much more aware of freedoms so i think gradually with the passage of time they will earn those freedoms or they will help those freedoms evolve in the Afghan society within the ambit of their domain uh, within the ambit of their uh, cultural constraints and their uh, religious constraints and all that it cannot become like the western society, it's a different society I can't project about the next 100 years or 200 years and I'm sure nobody can but for the foreseeable future I expect it to remain uh, a tribalized society but a tribalized society which is on the way to improving With the passage of time.
0: Makes sense. It's incremental and it's uh, evolution. Absolutely. Um, Incremental evolution. You know, one of the things that we've heard the the government of Pakistan constantly say is, you know, we need an Afghan led solution. Um, And, you know, looking at the past 40 years with the Soviet uh, intervention and then uh, with the US invasion, um, how important do you think at this point in time is the fact that the Afghan solution needs to be led by the Afghans themselves? Because it seems like nobody else really truly understands what's going on there
1: they are leading it i don't think there's any interference at all from any any other country at this moment and i think they must lead it because unless it is led by afghans you know, it will not be uh, acceptable to the afghans you know. uh, uh, graveyard of empires. you know it is it's a terminal you know, which is not coined without a reason for it basically the british right. tried it the soviets tried it you know the americans have tried it they've gone back and they've gone back uh, pretty embarrassed uh, so i think uh, any any country which has the wisdom will not even think of interfering in the Afghanistan affairs. But it does not mean that you cannot extend help and support right. and encouragement. And right. this is what I've always been projecting you know, in my articles and pieces that I've written over the last many weeks. I think we have to stand with Afghanistan, right? whatever they are. It may not be. They may not be exactly like us. They may definitely not be like the West. But the fact is you know, that we have to help them and encourage them to move on and change as they move on. This right. is important. So, uh, it is an Afghan-led and Afghan-owned. I think Taliban are very much an indigenized community, and they have come into power today. Uh, this war has bred a lot of uh, misery for the Afghan people. I think, as I said, you know, they've based through fire for forty years. Yeah, it's a moral responsibility of the world to ensure that it does not happen again, and that will happen only when the West, when, when the world stands with Afghanistan, and helps it forward. That's right. it. And this, unfortunately, is what the West is not doing. Right. That, that's very unfortunate.
0: Part. Um, if you talk about, let's say, you know, the, the regional commu- <clears throat> regional um, countries helping Afghanistan. Let's say, you know, the West softens its stance as well. Uh, maybe there's some money coming into Afghanistan in terms of more a, a more sustainable economy. Um, knowing the fact that most of that population has essentially grown up during war, um, what do you think? Do they have in terms of uh, you know uh, sort of um, econ- like internal economy, what does Afghanistan have uh, that they can they can sort of rely on for for generating economic activity and something that they can potentially generate quickly? They have enormous mineral wealth,
1: <clears throat> which has remained untapped for a long time. And the fact, you know, that they're talking about the about the about their inclination to join the uh, BRi slash CPEC, I think that will open up new and productive avenues for afghanistan if they become part of the cpac trail then uh, that will help pakistan that will help afghanistan that will help the central asian countries you know which will eventually be linked you know in the trail and all that so that will open up multiple avenues for afghanistan to progress economically and making use of the uh, mineral wealth that they have in abundance in afghanistan i think you know China can help them. Even Turkey can help them. Even Pakistan can help them. You know, to 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 make use of that wealth, you know, which has which is which is lying underground, you know, and they have not been able to tap into that. So I think uh, two or three different parallel tracks, you know, that they would uh, they they can take, uh, make use of the existing track, you know, which is CPEC, you know, then uh, discover their own mineral resources, you know, and make good use of that. Uh, and number three is think about the ways it means, basically, you know, which can. Uh, can create uh, jobs uh, for the people. At this moment in time, it's a struggle for surviving, you know, for most of the people in Afghanistan. And I think um, if the regional countries can get together and formulate a mechanism whereby you know they can uh, provision uh, the basic needs of the people of Afghanistan either in terms of money in, you know uh, given to the afghan government you know or in terms of uh, in immediately initiating certain projects you know which are money generating which are revenue generating and i think that will be good so these are three tra- parallel tracks which uh, i think afghanistan should adopt
0: so i see you you know you're you're uh, uh, repeating this idea of regional countries yeah. having a stake in afghanistan's mm-hmm. peace mm-hmm. and i think that's that's very important and a fascinating concept for me, because, you know, if ki baat ki Pakistan, then constantly, particularly our certain neighbors and kuch Western media, who say Pakistan doesn't want peace, Pakistan is a spoiler. Um, what do you think is uh, Pakistan's role? And what what is Pakistan and the region, particularly, you know, Central Asian states, you, you mentioned Russia to be involved, you mentioned China to be involved. Uh, what is their stake in, uh, you know, a peaceful and potentially
1: stable Afghanistan? <laughs> See, the common stake is peace. That means there is no terror in this part of the world. That is Pakistan's stake. You know, you know, through years, in fact, decades, you know, Pakistan has been destabilized from across its western border, particularly in the province of Pakistan, you know, and this was an India slash NDS uh, funded and uh, aided and abetted projects, you know, all of them. Basically, so we have suffered destabilization, and I think you know one of the principal reasons you know why have we why we have played a role, a constructive role, is that we do not want our borders to be destabilized, you know, across our sort of you know western neighbor and all that. This this is this is also the ambition of. Every other regional country, you know, be it China. China is very sensitive to ISK, you right. know, which has uh, created problems there uh, in Shengen province. You know, So they're very sensitive to, 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 to any terrorist activity emanating from Afghanistan. So are Central Asian countries. And of course, Russia and Iran are also very sensitive to this. So this is a common objective. There should be peace in Afghanistan because peace in the region is dependent on peace in Afghanistan. This, unfortunately, over time had become the hotbed of terror, you know, uh, starting with al-Qaeda and even before that. So that is the common part. So I think there is a, there's a legitimate reason for all these countries to play a role, to bring peace to Afghanistan so that there could be peace in all these countries. And they could also rightfully invest their uh, resources uh, in helping their people, you know, walk out of impoverishment and all that. I mean, this is, again, the other common factor is impoverishment in these countries, you No, know, be it Afghanistan, Pakistan, or the Central Asian countries, and even Iran, there is impoverishment. So, uh, which is directly linked to terror, as right. you know that, you know, you have to eliminate impoverishment, you know, to... To eliminate terror right and so, there's a linkage. So, so in terms of the economic uh
0: opportunity here as well right because we do see there's a certain language of regional connectivity that is certain you know that has risen in the past few years um and then particularly i was looking at the pakistani government and how they sort of shifted their focus from geo geo security to geoeconomics um and that's basically essentially in the context of the region altogether uh so so a peaceful Afghanistan, uh, what does that mean? Because you know, I've, I've been seeing the Pakistani government constantly engaging a lot with the Central Asian states, not just in terms of security or Afghanistan, but also in terms of business deals and trade deals and a lot of these things. I, I remember there was a, a a real sort of memorandum of understanding that was uh, signed with Uzbekistan. I think 5.2 billion dollars a few months ago. Uh, and for a lot of people, that's just very very confusing. You know, we never. Uzbekistan is not a country that we uh, saw in, the, in our media a lot. Um, that's and and to see a 5.2 billion dollar worth of, of a deal with them, um, you know, people do definitely do have questions. What do we stand to gain from it?
1: Peace in Afghanistan means peace in the region. Peace in the region means uh, economic activity in the region. Economic activity in the region means uh, generation of resources to eliminate poverty. Right.
0: Wealth, uh, you know, wealth creation. Wealth creation quote, and all
1: that. So uh, elimination of poverty. That will ultimately lead to these countries joining the ranks of the developed world. Right. So peace is the fundamental requirement to move along the trail to uh, becoming uh, developed countries, you know, so to say. So this is a common, this is a common, common uh, factor between all regional countries. You know, and this is why they're working closely together. Right. You know, they, they're they meeting regularly and they are uh, constantly thinking of ways and means. You know, now Pakistan, I think has, uh, has uh, proposed that uh, Afghanistan should be invited to attend the next meeting. And I think they will. And I think Afghanistan will also come. So, you know, these countries will sit together. When you sit together and we talk about problems, you know, you definitely come up and you have a positive approach and you have a common objective, then there are, I think I'm sure that they will come up with ways and means and mechanisms you know, to move forward. And this uh, is the only way, uh, you know, like I said, you know, Afghanistan has waged through fire, you know, and in a way, uh, other countries of the region too have, and I think uh, we would not want a repetition of that kind of thing happening in the future. So there's a common, there's a common objective, and I think that brings the countries together Closer together, and that I see happening, and I think it's a very positive thing. Uh, this region emerging, you know, as uh, as leaders of the world. The West is a declining uh, civilization, as you, I'm sure you must be aware of that. So we are the ones basically who can replace that uh, that decline. Um, China is there. China has played a very major role, and I think uh, other countries of the region are also uh, developing economies, and uh, this is an opportunity which has come their way. And I think you know by working together. With common objectives in mind they can take and they can you know lead the way to helping asia emerge as the leaders of the world right and and i call this actually you know in one of my articles i call this the uh the strategic power corridor Interesting. i refer to it as the strategic power corridor there is china and there is russia there is pakistan these are elite uh, sort of countries you know so there's the strategic component power emanates from there but basically the strategic power will, you know, will emerge out of economic development. You know that the right. that the region goes to China is virtually uh, there already, uh, but all the rest of the countries they still have to go a long way. You know, so I think China is helping out uh, through CPAC, through BRI, and you know bilateral agreements. You know, like they've signed one with with Iran also. They have helped Pakistan a lot, and they're willing to help other countries, including Afghanistan. So I think it's a it's a uh, it's a stimulating prospect. You know, and I think I look at it that way, and I think. You know, uh, the West is wary of it if right. you would like would like to discuss that. They're very, very afraid. And this possibly is the reason why they're behaving the way they're behaving, you know. Right. Holding things back and not helping Afghanistan because they're afraid of it. Uh, but, you know, if you look at the geostrategic sort of composition, you know, I think we finally, after 73 years, we are finally playing our cards right. <laughs> yeah. We are playing our cards in the region. Yeah. Well, way back 1948, 49, you know, we opted to shake hands across 15,000 kilometers of turbulent waters, right. And that you know you you know what we have suffered all along because of that relationship so here we are coming back to the region right and signing deals you know with the regional countries you know working together with the regional countries you know and you know uh, in, in you know to in, in a bit to a t- uh, attain uh, common objectives right. so this is where we should have been actually seven decades ago, but i'm I'm one of the since I've been sort of you know uh, constantly talking and reviewing this I, it makes me a very happy person you know that you know my country is finally
0: Finally the right track. On the right track.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Makes a lot of sense.
0: <laughs> right. Uh you know, apne multiple times bataya uh, regional countries ka bi bataya, apne bataya, ke, no, particularly exciting bata because it's the um, it's the time of Asia. It's the century of Asia mm. and potentially, you know, um, Asia could rise. It seems from the indicators now that uh, it, it it's only a matter of time. Um, but Regional ka, and it's when I'm looking <coughs> at what, what Iran is doing with Afghanistan, I'm very confused because they have been trying to sort of engage as well. Uh historically you know, Sunni and Shia fault line, thi, but in terms of uh, ever since you know the 15th of August, we did see the Iranian side, si engagement. Um, but recently, I, you know, Pakistani context, mein ratak, you know the foreign ministry putting out you know odd statements, um, and then there are protests, which <clears> it seems like you know they're, they're very well
1: curated protests. So what's the angling there? It's very confusing. You've used the right word, angling. <laughs> uh, we have uh, consistently pursued a policy of engagement with Iran, and there have been such instances in the past also. This is not the first time that it's happened. You know that they've come up with statements which are uh, not uh, congruous with with with, with the, uh, the course of development, you know. Uh, but we have remained engaged with them. Our ambassador, I think, three days ago, had a, in Kabul had a meeting with the Iranian ambassador there. And I think they will tide over this in due course of time. I, I don't attach uh, much too much importance to it. The Iranians are a little concerned about the fact that they are not playing the lead role, which right. uh, has uh, fallen into uh, Pakistan's kitty. I think we we have we have handled it brilliantly. Uh, so they're a little sort of you know, upset uh, and that that sort of finds expression in words in you know, a once in a while. So I don't really attach much importance to it because I right. think uh, I think we're there and we will we would like to take Iran along. I don't think. And yeah, you think we Iran will, Iran like will eventually sort, yes,
0: sort of uh, be part of that as well?
1: Yes, we will definitely. I think. See, Iran is already linked with China, right. and if if CPAC moves forward, Iran will move forward, and it'll become part of the regional approach and regional initiative. You know that right. I'm talking about, and in fact, I'm very eager about. Um, and I understand. That Pakistan wants to do the same. This is the broad-based thinking, you know, at the highest level, that we have to proceed further as a region rather than individually. That helps. That helps.
0: Right. And then obviously the other player uh, that that be uh, being India, uh, right? You know, even when uh, it came to you know, Belt and Road Initiative, um, you know, it seems like they are sort of doing what Pakistan was doing a few decades ago. But they're again going fifteen thousand miles away and um, partnering with someone. Who's been pretty confused in terms of how they've been managing the global affairs? Um, where do you think they're coming from at this point in time? And particularly, I'm going to go deeper into it with with, with a lot of fake news that we've seen. Uh, but before that, just to sort of understand, what's India's angle with Afghanistan?
1: Uh, India has been making use of the Afghan soil, you know, over a number of years, particularly in the last twenty years, you know, to destabilize Pakistan. We have talked about it, you know, right. Uh, um, that opportunity is lost Actually, now. to be very honest,
0: I feel like people just tend to uh, get confused about that a lot, just to sort of understand in the past 20 years, what has India been doing? Because, um, you know, we've, we've. I know that I have a huge Indian audience as well, um, and they keep on mentioning this $3 billion that they invested in in Afghanistan. Um, you know, how do you, go, or, or if you could run me through a little bit about what Indian presence in Afghanistan has done, uh, you know, for th- this space.
1: India has followed a two-pronged strategy in Afghanistan. One is that they've invested this money to build hospitals, to build schools, to build their parliament building and so much else, basically to earn goodwill. So this has been one part of the strategy. The other part of the strategy has been to make use of the NDS, which is the Afghan uh, intelligence uh, agency, and uh, make use of their uh, consulates spread right across Afghanistan to uh, send terrorists into Pakistan across our western border, uh, bordering uh, Balochistan. Uh, yeah. So this is the two-pronged strategy. You know? While on the one hand they have been winning goodwill of Afghanistan, uh, particularly under Karzai and uh, Ghani governments. On the other hand, they have been creating problems you know, for Pakistan. And uh, using
0: also that as a cover, right? So essentially like this humanitarian aid and all of that engagement is is great cover. It's about, only a cover.
1: Yeah. Absolutely right. You know? So I think, you know, uh, we, we have been protesting to Afghanistan in a long time. We have given them dossiers, you know, c- containing proofs of what we always suspected was happening from across the border, we had specific uh, reservations about the use of the Afghan soil, you know, for uh, launch of terrorist activity against Pakistan. But unfortunately, Qasai uh, and Ghani governments, you know, they did not pay any attention to it because unfortunately, again, they had become conduits to to this, uh, this activity, uh, which was basically spearheaded, you know, by the Afghans. Then in their NDS also, there were people like the Imrullah Salis of Afghanistan, they were many, so many other people basically of having you know nurturing similar venom and hatred for pakistan um so you know this this did not uh have any effect you know uh, now there has been a transformation uh india is virtually out of afghanistan Came plan at least for the time being you know taliban are in charge and taliban have committed to pakistan and to the world that they will not not allow the use of their soil again for any terrorist activity india if you go back to the 90s, you know when the first uh, war was being fought there before the Taliban took over, there is uh, the Northern Alliance, the former Northern Alliance. They're trying to resuscitate that Northern Alliance now. Emroh Saleh, you know, there's, there's, understandably Ahmed he's Masood, fled to yeah. he's fled to Tajik Ahmed Ahmad Massoud and him. Understandably, both of them have fled to Tajikistan. Um, so they're trying to resuscitate that. But the the regional dynamics have completely undergone a shift. You know, then they had the support of India. They had the support of the former Soviet Union, they had the support of Iran and some other countries also I you know, from Central Asian countries. Now, the regional support is totally missing. You know. Even Iran that we talked about, Iran will not extend support to India to right. destabilize Afghanistan, because it doesn't serve Iran. As I said, the common objective is peace in Afghanistan. Right. And if they destabilize Afghanistan uh, by helping India, there will be no peace in Afghanistan. That will definitely impact it will impact other countries but it will also impact iran so obviously they are not going to go that far uh, so india is virtually out of afghanistan in the in the in the current dynamics i don't see them playing a role right. uh, and definitely not a negative role you know that they have been playing in the last 20 years particularly i mean even before that you know they were playing that role but you know it was uh, much less as compared to what has happened in the last two decades uh, of the so called westernized democracy in afghanistan so this i think um they will definitely uh, try to uh, provoke a rebellion, you know, uh, in the Panjshir Valley, uh, which is, uh, understandably, they were they, they supplied some armaments there also, and they are also uh, uh, extending material support uh, to those few people who are still there. They have not been completely eliminated because they have uh, walked over into Tajikistan. So there were rumors, you know, and there were, I think, some reports also, you know, that about 1,800 people, Tajiks, you know, have... Uh, Uh, vowed support to those people who are part of the resistance movement, the so-called resistance movement. So, you know, uh, for India, it's a paradigm change, you know, from being the most important country in Afghanistan to becoming virtually virtually non-existent. So I think this is, uh, you know, this may provoke some kind of anger and some kind of uh, uh, activity, desperate activity.
0: And so do you think that 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 desperation essentially can be seen through, um, because, I mean, I've been watching the media past few, a few days. Um, first, I was watching this uh, sh- this live transmission from Annab Goswami. I believe that's his name. Anab uh, Goswami. Arnab Goswami. And, mm. and so he had a, lo- a bunch of these American analysts in and a lot of the questions that he was answering, even the Americans were like, listen, you're, you're wrong about this. And so he was just losing his mind. He was like, hey, you know, uh, if the Americans are our all allies. Why are they also negating what we were saying? But then, you know, we saw like the sort of like the the ultimate, the 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 grand finale with the with the clips from a video game saying these are Pakistani <laughs> jets on the Panjshir Valley, uh, with a you know, with a fighter jet like an American fighter jet in Wales using clips of that and saying you know this is uh, shot and down. Shot down. Shot down. Um, what's going on? I mean, this is it. It honestly seems like a fairy tale that we're going to pander any news whatsoever, and 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 seemingly you know that news gets picked up as well because okay, sure, the, maybe the clips weren't picked up. But that all a lot of that noise now is being used by the Western media as well, and to ask questions when there is absolutely no factor on the ground that that would support it. For example, um, you know the idea that Pakistan has been using drones, when in actuality Pakistan does not have the technology that could fly that that far and and do what they claim. You know we could do, and the world community knows that. Um, so how are we continuously pandering these narratives, or rather, do you think all of this is just for that purpose, narrative building? Uh,
1: this uh, is part of what we generally refer to as the fifth generation war, you know, fake news is a major component of that, you know. And I think on the 6th of September, I think at a ceremony in GHQ, the chief of the army staff also talked about the the need to handle uh, fake news and so many other things, you know, which are directly related uh, to this phenomenon. Um, What is, what is some for me is that even the Western world, you know, which is relatively far more enlightened and far more sort of fact and figure-based you know people they have given into this kind of pandering uh, to uh, unsubstantiated Rhetorical. and all that you know that that's very very even bbc is cnn and so many other channels that i have watched you know, I mean, Jalda hakeem for example we were talking about it you know christine fair for example you know, we are talking about that and so many others that, that the former uh, canadian uh, ambassador uh, chris alexander or something yeah. i mean just 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 go through his tweets and you will understand that it's 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 a level of lunacy that they have already achieved yeah. you know so uh, i think um, I think it's important for Pakistan to 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 take care of this, and I think if you have an organized, you know, the uh, we have constituted a special national security committee, you know, to look into that, and I think, you know, in the next months and weeks, months and years, we will be taking special care of this uh, fifth generation war and try to help Pakistan sort of avert any untoward impact of that. Uh, but this is. Uh, uh, you know, in Pakistan also, there is talk of uh, controlling the social media. So, you know that basic platform for spreading fake news is uh, social media. So yes, I totally agree with that. I am not in favor of controlling media, but I definitely am one to to make sure that the social media operates within uh, given parameters, you know, within legal and uh, moral parameters. Which, unfortunately, is not the case at this moment in time. But you know, if you watch Indian channels, you know, you actually start laughing. Yeah, the 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 I mean, the the way those people are conducting themselves, behaving, you know, even their generals, former generals, you know, and their anchors, you know, the one that you talked about at Goswami. I mean, this is they have they have attained a, a different level of lunacy, basically. So you know, but I'm happy that we are not indulging in that kind of right. you know, and all that. You know, we virtually don't even talk about India, so that's great.
0: Yeah, um, I'm going to expand the conversation a little bit, um, particularly in terms of you know, you mentioned that there is a new power rising. Uh, with China taking the lead there, um, you know, post-COVID, we also saw that China could potentially be the biggest economy in the world. It, previously, it was projected to be, I believe, 29 to 30. Now they've brought it back to 25, 25 26. Um, and obviously that does make the US uncomfortable. We've been seeing the trade war. We've been seeing a lot of these uh, sort of decoupling of the economy happening uh, over the past few years. Um, what, in your opinion, are we look, uh, so uh, the first question being very, very simple, do you think we're going towards a new Cold War? Um, And the second one being, um, do you think that particular Cold War would be more economic or more um, sort of like how Russia, you know, Soviet Union and the US were uh, with uh, arms and with bases and expansion on that that level?
1: It's a very important question, and I think let's give it some time, basically. I mean, I have no doubt in my mind about the Western uh, uh, approach to imposing this Cold War on Asia right particularly uh keeping in mind the progress that china has made and continues to make like you said uh previously it was projected that there will be the lead economy in the world by 2040 it was advanced to 2029 now you're right it is being it has been advanced to 2024 2025. so uh, americans are going to lose uh, their ascendancy economic ascendancy in the next two three years time so they will do everything to destabilize this part of the world you know and it was an imposing cold war uh but things are not that simple any longer. I mean, although we still refer to America as the sole superpower, but technically it is no longer the sole superpower because China has emerged as a major contender and in in, in due course of time, which is not going to be very long, I think they will actually become one of the superpowers. So let's look at it that way. their intention i have no doubts about they want this to happen in this part of the world so as to stall our progress you know uh, led by china but i think the countries of the region are very sensitive to it they understand what is happening so uh uh i think i think this regional approach that i'm talking about you know maybe this is the way to move forward you know that they work together. They work jointly, you know, uh, in pursuit of common objectives, you know. Mm-hmm. And the way things are taking shape uh, post Afghanistan, post American withdrawal from Afghanistan, I'm I'm very I'm very uh, heartened, actually, you know, that you know the regional countries, you know, are sitting together, uh, trying to devise a joint strategy, uh, joint mechanism, you know, to to be able to move forward. I don't think, you know, who is going to help America. In this uh, intent to impose a cold war in this, they only can bank on India. But India will suffer a lot on account of that also. India has to survive in the region. India has a population of 1.2, afflicted with gross uh, impoverishment, poverty. So they have similar issues that Pakistan and other countries have had. So they can't afford a cold war. They can't afford their economic progress to be stalled. And already they have come. Down uh, a number of notches, you know. Uh, it's no longer like it used to be two years ago, three years ago. You know, they have been consistently coming down in their in the in the pace of their economic progress, you know. So India has much to much to be afraid of uh, right. uh, from this from this so-called uh, cold, cold, cold war. Conflict. So I feel that yes, I India's the, the inherent wisdom in the Indian leadership. I think although Modi is an exception to that rule, I do not include him among the wise Indian leadership leaders. You know that it has consistently had which have taken the country forward. I feel that in spite of him, uh, they will not fall a victim to this, uh, this, this American and Western strategy you know, to impose a cold war on this region. And I think Pakistan and other countries have already become very sensitive to this and they are fighting through, and I think they will succeed. Uh, right. So we won't have an economic cold war. I think we, we, we can we, we, can't, we can't afford it. right? No country in this part of the world can afford it.
0: And And you know recently on the 15th of June, I believe there was an article regarding the G7's commitment mm-hmm. of the build back better world. Um, do you think they could potentially, so obviously it's, it seems abundant clear. declare all the people that I've talked to, all the most of the policymakers, think tankers in Pakistan, um, they don't seem too eager uh, to participate in any plan to sort of, you know, counter China or, or any of that sort. Um, but then suddenly, you know, when you think of when they come up with a plan, okay, here's an alternative. So the, the, there is an alternative, but that alternative is also talking about growth and connectivity, but it's just the American style of it. What happens when and uh, how serious do you think they were, and what happens when they come and you know sort of unveil that and uh, maybe it's three times, four times as much as what China could offer? Uh, Do you think that could there there is a certain reality to that?
1: Let me, this is uh, something which is very stimulating for me. Let me give you a bit of my worldview of this. You know, Um, Asia is moving forward, right? Let me tell you, but there is one continent which has not really played a role. That it should have a long time ago. That is the European continent. It has right. lived under the shadow of the Americans, right? And I think I, I have been in touch with many people, my many friends there, are many think tanks there, you know. And I've I've been talking to people here in Pakistan also, coming from the European uh, community. Uh, Trump gave them a shakeup, right? A huge shakeup, and there is now a thought process, you know, which is which is taking shape in Europe to begin playing an independent role. I don't think that will happen immediately, Right. but that will ultimately happen. It takes five years or 10 years. It's very difficult to project. But if that happens, the world is going to become a much more balanced place. It is going to be no longer divided between the Americans and others.
0: Right. It will have
1: Europe emerging as a power by itself. And I think it's absolutely mm. vital for two things, peace in the world, and economic so
0: it's not two superpowers essentially; it's three superpowers. Then you know, yeah, there you are,
1: there yeah. you are.
0: And so, I feel like that's, that that could play a really balancing act between balancing the balancing
1: act, you know. And I, I hope I'm I'm a great proponent of Europe emerging as a as a major player on its own, not right. under the shadows of the Americans. And Americans like they've exploited everybody else; they've exploited my country or country Pakistan. They've exploited other countries also. They have also exploited Europe. But I think Trump has given them a wake up call, you know. So. Right. I see a lot of sensitivity to the fact, you know, that uh, we deserve to be playing a role on our own. If that happens, I think we will have a different kind of world altogether. Let, we'll forget about the Cold Wars and we'll forget about everything else. I think we need to move towards a realm of uh, healthy competition. Right. And I think, if at all, it will emerge. Look, the European civilization is a much older and much more entrenched civilization. It's a much more sustainable civilization. Americans are new basically, and I think they they achieved stardom, as I would call it, much too soon in their lifetime. And unfortunately, they've not been able to make good use of it. They have sort of floundered it away. There's not a war that they've won. Somebody asked them, why is it that China is where it is, and why is it that America is where it is now? It's a declining civilization, and China is an emerging civilization. And that person put a counter question, and he said, how many wars have China fought? None. And he said, "How many for how many years America has been without fighting a war? None. Right. This is the difference between the two, two two countries. You can't continue progressing if you are constantly engaged in warfare in the world. China has been focused. China has not undertaken, not even it has not even thought of attacking. Let's say you know, what it considers um, to be its yeah. own part. Yeah, Taiwan. Yeah. So." Hong Kong it yeah. waited waited and you know that that reminds me of the of the of the Afghans the Americans and the Western world has not been able to understand the most formidable weapon that the, the Afghans have time time slash patience yeah they wait yeah the most formidable weapon they have is patience. they wait generations to get it. twenty years is a long time yeah. forty years of fire, unremitting fire and they live on. It's it's a, it's an unbelievable nation. Yeah. So I think this is the new world that I feel is going to take shape, and I at least want it to take shape. I don't know whether it will or not. That's a different. It's just a projection. But I think Europeans are far more sensitive today to their to their existence and a role that they can potentially play than they were in the past.
0: Makes sense. And I'm going to move to move towards sort of ending this. Uh, but I do have one particular direction set of questions. Um, When I look at uh, the Afghan war, and particularly what's happened in the last one month, um, it seems like most of the Washington think tankers had absolutely no idea what Mm. they were doing um, in the past 20 years. Um, What went wrong there? And again, um, did they actually have no intelligence on ground? Because I mean, the U.S. was the only one with boots on the ground, with assets on the ground, and it seems like they were the most clueless about what's going to happen. It seems like everybody else had some, at least some clue of where this might go. And particularly in terms of Pakistan, you know, it seems like we've been telling them a lot of these, uh, you know, news clippings are coming out, statements are coming out of what Musharraf said, of what uh, General Kiani said. Um, What do you think has been going on in the minds of the think tankers sitting in Washington?
1: What the world sees as uh, as having happened over a period of two to four weeks' time actually did not just happen over two to four weeks' time. It took much longer. Um, we were taught strategy and tactics, you know, back uh, a number of years ago. And they said, you know, when you want to charge to the front, you don't just charge to the front. You hold back. You clear your back. Right. Then you look at your flanks. Then you move forward. And what is it that the Taliban were doing for the last couple of years, you know? They were forging partnerships with their traditional enemies. And where were they concentrating? On all the trade routes. So these one and a half to two years, they were engaged in a different kind of war.
0: Right. They evolved themselves. They were
1: nullifying their opposition. So that is the reason. And they did it. They signed deals with them. They negotiated deals with them. They neutralized them. So when they moved forward, there was no enemy. Except the enemy sitting in Kabul. And they, they were raised to ground within no time. There was no war in Afghanistan. There was no humanitarian crisis. There's no prospect of civil war. Yeah, because This is deep. because this is the way. Now, I mean, for the Western world, and for the particularly, more specifically for the D.C. think tankers, they cannot understand. I deal with many of them. They cannot understand these realities. They don't understand. They, 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 they are unwilling to believe that there are intelligent people living in this part of the world. I've, I've sat across the table with them, and they honestly uh, they feel that intelligence only belongs to them. It is only a commodity that they can harbor, and the others are dull. The the chapter of Afghanistan has proven it the other way around. They have no clue, as you said, to the ground realities. They had no clue to what was happening over the last couple of years. They had no clue that Taliban could actually act so intelligently. Yeah. So, but they forgot the fact, you know, that you know they have, uh, they have generations, you know, which were born and bred in the battlefield. Forty years it is not a short period in, in, in a nation's history. You know, they've gone through, as I repeatedly say, gone through fire, and and these think tankers, you know, sitting in their air-conditioned rooms and all that, you know, and 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 and, and, and stuck are infatuated with promoting themselves and not giving due consideration, you know, to what others may or May not be able to do. They have just been promoting a single-minded narrative that, uh, again and again, I mean, America has lost all the wars. You know, starting from Korea to Vietnam to wherever you go. Basically, there's not a war that they've won, and Mm. yet they rate America as invincible. Mm. So uh, I think they need to. I keep I keep engaging with them on social media once in a while. You know, and it's interesting. You know, but I keep telling them. I say, you know, just you know, put your feet on the ground. And Start looking at a country as it really is not as what you want it to turn into just like you know for 20 years They turned, they they they, they made an effort to turn uh, Afghanistan into a Western democracy the ground conditions were not right. They're not the kind of people who would accept Western democracy Yes, maybe a hundred years down the lane 200 years down the lane if it evolves That's okay, but you can't impose things on them. Yeah. So you know, detached from reality. There was, you know, the, the DC think tankers, they get very angry, you know, when when I use the term, you know, that you're totally detached from reality, but actually they are totally detached from reality. They don't have a clue to what they talk about, you know, and at this moment in time, most of them are totally embarrassed, you know, so they're talking more than ever before to cover up <laughs> <for> their embarrassment. <laughs> So, right. but I'm, I'm, you know, it's an interesting period, you know, for you and I basically to go yeah. through to see that this can happen. I mean, yeah, the indeed. very act of uh, a ragtag military, yeah. 30,000 people uh, defeating the the sole superpower of the world. And, you know, along with 57 other countries, you know, the NATO countries and all that. I mean, it's a remarkable feat. Yeah, And then they blame Pakistan as having done it, you know. <laughs> that I mean, we must sit and talk about that someday, you know. that's yeah. another very interesting feature, you know.
0: Absolutely, sir. Um, we're, we're almost at the one hour limit and we have to, you know, wrap up the conversation. But there's one question that I ask every time mm. I have a guest in. Um, and I'd like to uh, ask you as well, particularly in the context of the region uh, as well. Um where do you think Pakistan in the next thirty years? 2050 is generally the time when I when I try to see you know how, how we're going to evolve. Uh, where do you think Pakistan would be in 2050? And where do you think the region will be in 2050, uh, thirty years from now?
1: See if there is peace in Afghanistan, which hopefully there will be. The connectivity will improve further. Uh, we will we will be exposed to the world uh, in a more formidable way uh, than we have been before. We are on the right track. We have China. We have the regional connectivity here. We're trying to forge further closer connectivity with, with countries of the region. Russia is on board more or less. Iran is. Iran remains a question mark, you know, but I think, you know, since as I said, you know, we, we, we remain engaged with Iran. If all this happens and it falls in place and this region acts as one uh, uh, closely connected region, you know, uh working for common objectives and all that i think i i see this region you know, as the leader in the world by 2050 definitely iran i mean of course china will play a very major role in that very major role in that but i see the emergence of these countries you know as uh, welfare oriented countries you know in another 20 years or so um, that could be a great achievement and you know? i think uh some good comes out of uh, wars also. And I think if this comes out, I think this will be a direct derivative of uh, the war in Afghanistan, prolonged war in Afghanistan. And I think all countries of the region stand to benefit from it, but they have to work together. That is very important to know. There should be no conflict in this part of the world. And that reminds me of India. If we can somehow, if India can somehow understand that its future too belongs to this region, which it believed till about five, six, seven years ago, till. when they, op- when they opted for shaking hands with the Americans you know, and they uh, detached themselves from this region. Like Pakistan had committed the plunder back in 1948-49. We plucked ourselves out of the region and shook hands with the Americans, which is, did not help us. Unfortunately, instead of learning from us, India has committed this plunder. So if India falls back into the region and becomes one of the countries, rather than the country trying to dominate the region, I think we have... I mean, there uh, is absolutely no doubt. We, we have We have a great future... Uh, beckoning Mm. our uh, next generation and I'm very optimistic
0: 100% sir thank you so much for the optimism for the insight um, and you know for taking the time out my pleasure
1: absolute pleasure thank you
0: And for all of you guys, thank you so much for watching. If you like the episode, please do share it with your friends. Um, For YouTube, if you click on the like button, it'll increase our engagement and we'll get more viewership. Uh, If you do agree or disagree with anything uh, that Sir uh, Rav has said, please do let us know in the comment section about what your thoughts are. And this was Sigham, you were watching Thought Behind Things. Thank you so much for watching and I'll see you in the next one.